Alrighty guys, we have another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast today, and on the line I have Vidya McNeil. Now Vidya, first question I ask everybody here is, tell us about your health journey in 10 sentences or less. Well, my health journey started when I was 12 years old. Okay. And where has that taken you since? What has it been along the way? Uh, at 12 years old, I decided to drop all white sugar and white flour products out of my life. My mom was into Adele Davis, so I actually, at that time, also began to cook my own foods and prepare my own meals, ate a lot of salads during that time. I wasn't a big meat eater during my teens and my early 20s. I was a vegetarian, and over a period of time, uh, the protein deficiency uh, began to show up with really brittle hair and brittle fingers. So this is really interesting, and I think your listeners are going to really appreciate this. So I started to notice kind of this progressive breakdown, and I was in my 30s. I would go visit my, uh, pick up my daughter from her father's house who lived, you know, a, wa- a ways away in San Diego. And on the way back, I would always pass this huge billboard right up there in the sky with a big <laughs> juicy steak. Yeah. And I noticed every time I glanced at that, I started saliving, you know, yeah. I started salivating. And I was like, wow, this is really weird. But I paid attention to it and just started noticing and noticing and noticing. And finally, because I have a lot of body awareness, I started to ask myself, whoa, does this mean that I might benefit from eating some meat? And, of course, all of my spiritual beliefs contracted, you know, disvalued that thought, you know, like, how could you think that thought? You made vows to be a vegetarian for your entire life. And I'm like, but, but I'm in this conflict. So I kept asking and asking. And one day I, my body was just screaming at me, go get something. So I thought, okay, what is it that I really enjoyed meeting meat wise when I was a young child and I loved lamb. So I went to the organic store, and I'm looking over the the, uh, meat selections, and I'm actually dry heaving. I'm nauseous. At the same time as I'm looking at the meat, I'm salivating. Now, people would ask, how can you have two discongruent experiences? Yeah, those are so opposites with that. They're so opposite. And I knew that a lot of the nausea was coming from my cognitive, what I thought about eating meat, but I kept trusting my body. So I purchased the meat, put it in my, you know, basket and went up to the checkout counter and I just, you know, kept fighting the nausea and at the checkout counter and the the guy goes, oh, this looks like a great piece of meat. How do you prepare your lamb? And I went, oh my God, well, um, you know, and I was doing something really fast in my head. I don't have a grill. I don't, you know, I don't know. I guess I just pan fry it. And he goes, oh, that's how I do it. It always comes out great. And I'm like, oh, fantastic. <laughs> I got home. And I'm like, okay, I'm all by myself. It's the middle of the day. My kid is away at school. Okay prepare the lamb. So I put the lamb in the, you know, I had to run to the toilet a few times to dry heave at the same time. The salivating continued. So I finished cooking it, sat down, blessed my meat, still fighting the, this discongruence, 
said the blessing, the first bite, all the nausea went away. And my whole body lit up. Oh my God, this is what I absolutely need. So I tell this story a lot to my vegetarian clients. I tell them to other people who are diehard vegetarians and I can see that their bodies are breaking down. Because the number one factor here is that we must listen to our bodies and what our bodies are telling us in order for us to respond in a very uh, thoughtful and effective way. Now, since then, I started introducing meat into my diet. Now, granted, I had been a vegetarian for 20 plus years. And I, you know, had to overcome all the cognitive stuff of like, well, am I going to digest this? Do I have the right enzymes to digest? I digested everything perfectly fine. Poops were healthy. Everything was super yeah. healthy. And everything in my body started to change. And that was well before I met Paul Check. Mm -hmm. But I found that, again, the number one thing that I find working with most of my clients is there's this disconnection between what the body is actually telling them and what they think health is all about. So that really, um, I share that story with you because I think that it's not only humorous, but it, it's an excellent example of how we can increase our health and well-being when we just listen to what our body's telling us. Now, are there any tips or techniques like that you've used for yourself or with other clients, anything like that, in order to be able to get more of that body awareness? Because that is something where people have trouble listening to their body or like, I, I think like you said, like overcoming your thoughts because you're consciously like dry heaving, like you said, but the second you took the bite of it, I mean, it all went away. Yeah, so when I work with my clients, especially those clients that have issues related to body uh, dimorphism or they have, they're holding on to rigid ideas, what I do is I use um, some basic journeying and shamanic techniques and take them into the body so that we can stay with the body in an embodied experience so that we can resource the body's own wisdom outside the cognitive. Oftentimes our minds are just interpreting what we think is the correct way. But when we get quiet enough and we tune and we move our awareness from outside and our belief structures to really moving inside and honoring what the body is asking for and what it's telling us, there's great big shifts in epiphanies. And so when I go in, I'm always asking if the body, out of respect, will show us a new way that it can transform itself. So I don't necessarily force my thoughts and opinions and beliefs on others, but I partner with them so that their own bodies will reveal the truth. And then we can celebrate that. And then we can set the protocols in place using the mind and the cognitive functions to check in and allow the person to have their own experience. Now, with that said, in our HLC2 coaching model, we have a part of our model where self-reflection is really, really important. It's important for the client and it's also important for the coach who's coaching that client. Right, So I ask a lot of my clients, if we're working around food issues and body issues, to keep a food log. 
This is very, very important. We want to determine what's really going on with your energy. And as we know, as you well know, Nick, being a holistic practitioner and a great person who's really connected to your body, that when we have quiet time is the best time that we can do self-reflective time. So I encourage my clients not only to keep their food log, but I also encourage them to keep a journal. What's going on? What's changing? What are their dreams telling them, right? What are they noticing? So I drive all of this through increasing mindfulness through awareness and attention. Vijay, that's, I, I like that because sometimes people still think like the mindfulness thing, oh, I can't sit still like doing that. But here's almost an active mindfulness. It, it, it's, I think it's a lot easier to, to start with something like that when people are jumpity, go, go, go all the time. I mean, I, you just give them that, okay, well, just take, take five minutes and write about what you're feeling. Yes. Uh, I think it would be much easier for them to calm down and actually reflect upon that. So that's great. Thank you. You're very welcome. And, the, and then for some of those people who have really busy minds, then maybe, you know, they resist the writing part of it. I said, just pick up your phone and make a verbal note. Absolutely. There's another, another way. And then they can play it back or they can have it transcribed so that they can look at it. But the, the key here is personal empowerment through uh, self-awareness. And awareness is mindfulness, no matter what. So it doesn't have to be a sitting practice. It's just awareness. And oftentimes, if they can't get aware of their body, then I ask them to get aware of what's happening in their environment. So, you know, pause. Set uh, alarms on your phone throughout the day as pause points. Ding, it goes off. Take a deep breath. Lift your eyes. Look around. Hopefully you're near a window and you can connect with some nature outside. Uh, the best thing then, the next best thing is getting them outside with feet on the ground and really getting them grounded because a lot of these people who are way up here in their minds and they're turning, 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 there's a disconnect from being in the body and being on the earth plane. For instance, I was working with a client yesterday and she was, you know, she's a young mom and she was just expressing how, God, I just feel so spacey. You know, I feel like I'm not really grounded. So I gave her some exercise to do outside by just first becoming like a tree, just feeling her feet on the ground and extending her awareness of her body through her feet and connecting into Mother Earth, like putting her roots down and then breathing in Mother Earth's love. So creating this circuit of breath and just connection to get her started with feeling comfortable of being in her body. And I imagine it works pretty well for her. Yeah, it did. It's <laughs> like, oh my God, this is great. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even outside right now, but I'm I'm just envisioning that like as you're talking about it and I can even feel it just, just from here and I'm sure being outside, getting my feet in, in the dirt or in the snow right now uh, would certainly uh, get the same effect. That is that is fantastic. Vidya, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to switch gears for a little bit here. I want to know what you're studying right now. Is there anything of interest to you that you're kind of really digging deep into at the time? Well, I have a very psychological mind. <clears throat> and I love studying anything related to consciousness and psychology. 
I'm just finishing up an embodied shamanism course, which has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm just finishing that course. I've been studying a lot about women and self and relation because that's been uh, with my past in my master's degree in psychology. I majored in women's development and marriage family therapy, but specifically looking at women's experiences separate and different than men's experience. So I've done, you know, 20 plus years of study on women's development and continuing to learn and grow and how I can integrate more fully into myself and help others. But now I'm starting to shift my attention into men's experience. Okay, I really want to understand what the male experience is because I'm attracting a lot more male clients now and um, psych for psych work. Right, or relationship right, right. work. So I've been doing a lot of study in the background so that I can better help my clients, no matter whether they're females or males, or no matter whether they have health issues or maybe they have obsessive compulsive disorder or depression and anxiety. So I, you know, I'm very self-motivated, self-disciplined, and I love to study and integrate. And so that along with um, archetype and myth. So I've just done a whole lot of studied with uh, Clarissa Pinkola's Estes. I, I think I must own every single one of her self-study courses and um, audios, and um, I pop them into my car and I listen to them. Um, well, of the things well, yeah. that you've even studied recently, like how has that affected you? Like how has that changed either your your mental standpoint or uh, for for yourself or either like working with clients, how have you made changes in your life with that? That's a great question. Well, for instance, with Clarissa Pinkola's Estes, you know, she's like a, a, what I would consider a peer colleague in the field of Jungian psychology. And since, you know, I've been studying Jungian psychology for many, many years and looking at myth and looking at archetypes and looking at the personas that we choose to inhabit, I'll say, because oftentimes we're not choosing those, actually they're just inhabiting us. Um, what I discovered along with studying her in my journey is that she has now come out like with wise woman archetype. And at my own level of development, I moved from being a young woman to a mother. And I was in the mother archetype for a really, really long time. But it's also a caregiver archetype. So um, as my children transitioned out of my home into being adults, and all of them are in their mid-20s to their mid-30s now, that mothering archetype doesn't work well in the professional field, right? Because I can't do for my clients. And so what I saw in myself that nat very naturally there was emerging a very wise woman inside me. And so when I listened to Clarissa Pinkolos, um, one of the ones that I just listened to, uh, the joyous body, the wise woman archetype and things like that, I realized I'd already transitioned out and I'm very much living this wise woman archetype right now. And so the wise woman archetype in me and also in studying the embodied shamanism is that in order for us to let go of our old stories about who we are and who we think we are, right, we have to 
inhabit a larger narrative that has a bigger umbrella that is generative. And that is a psychological term meaning to give back to society and our communities. And uh, very much experiencing that in the last couple years where I am um, gaining more uh, traction with my own voice in being able to raise awareness of how we can contribute to the larger conversation outside of just the personal that affects not only we relationships, but all relationships. And I feel very much connected to my path and to my divine purpose as a consequence of kind of like all of the synchronicities coming into play through me. And I'm really, really grateful. And would you mind uh, expanding on that? Like, where are you on that, on that path and on that journey of uh, okay. sharing with the all? Yeah, so like in my old narrative, when I was a young person, I felt abandoned by my children. Oh my gosh, you know, I got to do this all by myself. This is so hard. And that really drove me to find partnerships, to find people that could help me raise my children. Um, there was this, a level of timidity and uncertainty in myself, um, like part of the narrative was like, I don't know how to navigate the material world. I don't know how to do this, which then, you know, took me into my studies and led me to, you know, get my degrees in counseling psychology and humanistic psychology. But over time, what I discovered is that narrative is completely gone. So the new narrative for me has been, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. I don't have time. I'm so busy. And so that has been my number one complaint. I've just been like dumping out on myself. And I realized that working with my own guides and doing my own inner work and doing my own inner journeys that I am exactly where I'm supposed to be and that I don't have to push the river. That for me at this time, accepting that I am busy, not resisting it or resenting it, right? It's a whole other mindset of embracing what is and embracing myself at this new developmental level that I'm now at and the level of contributions that I'm making. At the same time, I also have the great awareness that in order for me to stay balanced, right, no matter how busy I am, that it's really important for me to say no, okay? Because my no also means that it will give value to my yes when I do say that. So no means sometimes we need to let go of those people, let go of certain situations or circumstances or projects that really don't support the divine purpose. And sometimes you know, that might cause some heartbreak because letting go in order for us to step into a more, more fully lived life means that we do need to let go of those things that have been distractions or continuing to be distractions, which is really hard for other people to hear sometimes because they don't understand and I appear very selfish but I know that when I say no to those people, situations, or circumstances, I feel so much more freedom in my body, 
you know, it removes the stress. And we know that all stress summates. So I feel much more freedom in my body and I can celebrate that. And it allows me then to focus and show up fully with my divine purpose, no matter which activity, which person I'm choosing to work with, which aspect of my business I'm willing and wanting to energize at this time in my life. It was a huge epiphany and it's been coming the last several weeks. And it's like, wow. Like my guides shared with me this last week, they said, you know, Vidya, we have moved people out of your life because I was asking, why is this person just dropped away? I find them valuable. And they said, no, we've moved these people out of your life because they're not supporting your divine purpose. Thank you for trusting. Pretty powerful. And I Very I, powerful. I, Absolutely. I felt the truth. You know, I felt it in my body 100%. And it was like, oh, wow, I don't have to energize something here. I can drop into myself and know my own truth. It was just so powerful for me. Vidya, thank you for sharing that because not everybody, I, I think, has that appreciation of being able to say no and being able to be, well, really just selfish sometimes. But what that can do for you, what that can open for you, I mean, just within yourself is, is an incredible thing, whether it's the way you feel, the way you look, the way you just present yourself all of the time. Uh, that really is just an amazing form of self-love in itself right there. It is. And, you know, I did this big forgiveness and gratitude journey this last week as well, forgiving those, those people that I perceived as giving me harm. But I saw that's when the message came to me, no, we move them out. <laughs> they behave that way so that they could be moved out of your field, right? And then the people that I perceived, you know, maybe I dropped the ball or I harmed in some way and asked for their forgiveness. Really, it was asking myself also for any kind of forgiveness because I was still holding on to some idea that I might have harmed them, right? And then lastly, we asked for forgiveness of the self and gratitude for the self. And that's very much a daily part of my practice anyways, is being able to place my hands on my heart and let myself know with empathy and compassion, if something is difficult, I can name it to tame it, but I can also give gratitude for the gifts that it's rising up into my awareness as a consequence. So yeah, it's a kind of a full circle practice and process. For sure, for sure. Now, one of the things you had mentioned there, Vijay, uh, like you studied the Carl Jung uh, quite extensively. Is there anybody throughout history, whether they be currently alive, whether they be deceased, that uh, you would most like to have met or meet currently? Uh, well, God, there's so many people I'd love to meet. Number one, I'd love to meet Baramji. Baramji, okay. <laughs> he is uh, he's a Persian artist, musical artist who happens to live in Amsterdam. And I just love, love, love his music. He's in his 70s. And it's my dream that one day I can actually sit live in one of his concerts. He plays the hammered dulcimer. He sings and he chants. Uh, it's just, I mean, like, I just go to seventh heaven when I hear his music. <laughs> but secondly, one of the, the great consciousness leaders on the planet right now is Ken Wilber. And some of his disciples, Joe DiPerna, in particular and they are just amazing i love ken wilber's mind um he's super super intellectual 
So um, it, his work really only appeals to really, really intellectual people. But once you understand his um, perspectives and the interrelationship between consciousness and the I factor, the it's factor, the we and the all factor, right, then it works very synergistically to help us be able to connect and communicate more effectively, especially if we're in the business of consciousness raising, to help other people. There's many great uh, shamanic teachers out there right now. I've been working with Michael Stone. He is just an amazing, amazing uh practitioner and human being and I feel very privileged to have been guided by him recently and I'm very very thankful and I'm just meeting amazing people also through that particular group you know people who are, are like me both men and women who are very keen on making a difference in the world and uh, stepping through their story to create something of contribution to the world there's many others <laughs> well, and that's where it's hard sometimes to pin that down. But that's what I look to see, like who who people are uh, just really into. Because yeah, as you, you know, said, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I used to work with Deepak Chopra. Yeah. So I had the great privilege of being influenced by him um, in my late thirties, and um, understanding the principles of Ayurveda. You know, and I was already into holistic health. I thought until I met Paul Check. And, you know, I am privileged that each and every day I get to work with Paul and support him and be kind of a sounding board for the intellectual study that he's doing and provide feedback and help him integrate a lot of what he's learning into his new programs. It's a huge privilege, and I am so grateful for the opportunity to continue to work with him and uh, integrate this through a holistic health model that affects thousands of people oh for sure uh i would argue even more probably and continuing to grow which is awesome to see mm -hmm. now you said you thought you were into holistic health even before you met paul mm -hmm. what, what do you mean by that if you wouldn't mind sharing back in uh 2005 2006 you know i was running a yoga studio i had my own business my own practice my coaching practice i was really into my health practices but i didn't have the four doctor model at that time. Okay, so I didn't know how important it was to. Um, I was still using a functional medicine model. Okay. This for that model. Oh, this is breaking down. Take this supplement. Right. And I thought I was being holistic. So in 2006, I was invited to participate with uh, UCSD School of Medicine and we brought the first pain management conference for women specific to the gender anywhere in the world to San Diego and my job was to go out and resource all the holistic health practitioners, acupuncturists, massage therapists, meditation practitioners and bring them in and yes I knew that we had to look at the psychology, we needed to have services what was missing was kind of the movement aspect as well. Yeah, yoga, and I'm a, I practice yoga, you know, throughout my week, but I was missing a big piece of that. And in the medical model, it's a this for that model. Oh, you have this symptom, we're going to treat you with this. 
you know, you have scoliosis, well, then we'll treat you, do some yoga. But that's, that's not really, that's pseudo-medicine. <laughs> it's not really holistic. It wasn't until I met Paul and uh, we developed the one, two, three, four model and the four doctor model. Um, I met him just after he published his book and I have since edited the book and up upgraded it over the years. But, you know, that kind of all brought it all together into this brilliant model because I see even with our Czech practitioners throughout the world and our holistic life coaches throughout the world that they still fall into that this for that model because if they're neophytes and they're beginning their coaching practice, they haven't grounded themselves enough in the four doctors as a living philosophy and making the choices that actually support them and then they try to go out and coach but because they're not grounded in it themselves then they fall back on the this for that functional medicine model so we're constantly looking at ways that we can help our practitioners upgrade and have better experience of themselves so that they can be authentic practitioners and really own their holism within now Vijay, is there something that you see with most practitioners like is there is there something that they do need to change or the 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 most common like obstacle that you you see coming up in the practitioners over and over yeah i grade all the hlc2 and hlc3 tests and the yeah. number one thing that i see over and over and over again with a lot of these people coming through our our program and and they really need years behind them before they can really say okay i've got it but many of them coming through have this uh, perception of work harder, not smarter. Work longer hours, right? The coin drill, which is examining one's thoughts about something, having a belief about something and learning how to flip it to see the other side has been really, really powerful. But for the most part, it's that yang dominant energy that's driving them. And so... When you think about developmentally, a lot of these people coming through our program are in their 20s and their 30s, right? They're up and coming. They have big dreams that sometimes are awesome dreams, but maybe they're not chunked down into practical steps, right? And so they, I see that they tend to whip themselves or they misunderstand what it means to have an archetype living through them. So they might be energizing the seeker, the seeker, the seeker, the seeker, right? And so they're always chasing the next big thing that's going to add to their practice instead of just grounding them into the simple aspects of nutrition, hydration, the way that we're thinking, right? Movement. Having a dream that is actually dream affirmative, using your four doctors to support that dream and checking in with themselves on a daily basis and actually using the model that we teach them. Ongoing, not just to pass the test, but to use it ongoing. So I, th I see that as the biggest obstacle. No, and that's, that's great because uh, I'm still on my uh, run and gun stage of life too. And yes. I, do, I do catch myself doing that where it's, I'll want to stay up later. I'll want to get up earlier just to do more, do more, do more. Um, but I've gotten much better at recognizing it for myself and being able to say, okay, either I'm going to go do something more like more Tai Chi for myself because I know I need to just, hey, 
energized that way or it might just be sleep it might just be go play with my son go go hang out with the dogs with my wife just relax uh it, it doesn't always have to be push for more 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 uh, and i think you just said something that's really key play yeah. you know and i've I've written about it on the Czech blog. I talked about it on the Childhood Obesity Project where, you know, what we don't give our kids, we don't give to ourselves. And that is not enough play. And I mean unstructured play away from social media, time outside. Uh, this stimulates our creativity, right? Movement and creativity and curiosity are all tied together. And when we see people sitting too much or you know they're all out together at a restaurant and everybody's on their social media and they're not interacting you know I believe that a lot of our problems in our society and our communities is this sense of disconnection and I'm very passionate about this information because disconnection leads to all sorts of body mind and spiritual problems that begin to manifest as illness through us. And so we need to learn how to connect. And connection only happens when we are able to be present with one another. We have eye contact. We use our hands to express ourselves as we're speaking. How we modulate the voice is the voice smoothing, is it grating? As you notice, I'm beginning to slow my speech pattern down because I was a little speeded up there trying to get information out. So if your listeners want to learn more about engagement and how to engage with one another, look at the work of Stephen Bourget. He's all about the vagus nerve and how it influences our perceptual nets, especially our attachments towards others. So... Oftentimes with my couples that I'm working with, I teach them how to engage through their eyes, maybe non-verbally. I don't have them, if something is coming up, you don't shout it to your partner from across the room with your head turned, right? That's threatening. That's not connecting. I want you to get close. Find out what your partner's love language is. If it's touch, you want to touch them and get close. If it's time spent with them, quality time you want to spend, set up some quality time, right? If it's gifts, well, you know, sometimes that's related to the visual center. They need to see something tangible that you really care, right? And then others are in service, you know, where, you know, the service becomes really important. And I'm going to tell you a secret. Paul's love language is service. He serves the world. You know, he doesn't care about the gifts. Oh, those are very nice. It's very nice to hear how much you appreciate your my growth. But I want to see, are you taking this information in and actually living it? Then I feel my service is rewarded. And Vijay, I, I know that's one. It's Gary Chapman, I believe, right, with the five love languages? Yes. Gary Chapman. Just an amazing book. I, oh my God. Yeah. I, I think I've gone through it now three or four times. Um, and it really has helped. I mean, my wife and I, our relationship just, but I notice it when I'm working with patients, working with clients too, that I can still use that because it's easier for me to relate to them, to get on that same page. And it's just an amazing opening for everybody. I feel like. Yeah, and it is, and it's so simple, and it's a real basic model, but it gives a nice framework to try to understand your own, you know, what you need 
in terms of feeling loved yourself and then being able to express your love towards another person. I can't tell you, you know, how many times I've heard from both men and women who say, but I tell her I love her. And on the other side, she's like, well, he tells me he loves me, but he hasn't put time aside. He's working too long of hours. He's never home with the family. And, you know, there's a big disconnect. So first we want to get people connected via the eyes, through presence, through the tone of voice, through, you know, being able to use their hand gestures in a way to help them communicate. But secondly is having that cognitive model for the love languages so that you can discover for yourself what is your preferred method, what is your mate's preferred method. And then, you know, I bring it into my sessions no matter whether I'm working with my business clients or my self-growth clients. It doesn't really matter. I want to know how they're going to receive love from me. Some of them need, you know, verbal lots of email with, you know, strokes, right, that are words of encouragement, words of affirmation. Some of them need, you know, just a little gift that I might share with them through Dropbox here and there, like, oh, wow, this was a surprise, right? That's so, crazy, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's all, that's the beauty of life. There's so much diversity. There's so much. And when we can celebrate our differences in mutual appreciation, everything brings us together in a very, we see all the little strings that create this beautiful web of life in this integrated whole. So therefore, there's nothing bad. It's all perfectly arranged, right? Even our perceptions of other people and wars and violence and this and that it's all perfect and it's hard when we don't see those interconnections or understand how we as a humanity also have this collective nature right that has a shadow aspect not only the individual but the collective nature also has a shadow and we can't always peer into it and see truthfully until we're willing to sit with things and grow and learn through our individual experience first. And we have to be embodied in order to be able to do that in presence. But <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm almost at a loss for words, which I mean, thank you. Yeah, because if, if you, just that being present, being aware, like I notice it right now, I'm, I want to keep charging forward, like go, 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 like we were saying, but it's, I can feel myself. No, I can, I can calm down and just be in that moment and love what we're talking about even right now. Yeah, so so one of the techniques is just coming back to the breath, feeling the breath moving through us. And when we come back to the breath, it drives our awareness inward and, and, and we can only be in the present moment. So that's one of the other techniques that I do teach my clients and I do embody myself is to come back to my breath because when we start to fast think or move towards something, you know, we get excited, of course. I mean, that's just a natural human response. But we can get carried away by that. And before we know, we're not really breathing deeply anymore. We're up here in our chest, you know, almost like, let's go, let's go, let's go. But really, we just want to, when we notice that, just 
pause, take a nice deep breath, reconnect, and move forward. It's a very gentle process that's available to us 100% of the time because without our bodies, we have no mechanism for breath, and breath animates our life. And that's that's a fantastic technique. I, I think everybody needs to recognize that because this is that's something that I'll use when I'm working in the clinic. Um, mm-hmm. When I do have any any busier days, especially where I'll have a patient come in and well, usually several patients during the day come in and are wound up. Something happened. They were just in traffic. They had to run their kid around. They like work was crazy. And I gotta as, leave quick. <laughs> well, but and, and and as they come in front of me. Uh, that kind of all spills out because it's probably the first time they've actually sat down all day uh, Mm -hmm. or just at least slowed their mind down maybe or a little bit. And I can feel it come into me and I'll I'll like like holding my breath for a second and then I I recognize it. I I, I calm myself. I I take my deep deep breaths in uh, because if I didn't, I can't imagine what my day would be like. Well, and also through your calming yourself, through your own deep breathing and slowing yourself down, that allows your patient then to begin to slow down because you're creating entrainment. You're creating this reciprocity. And when we can modulate our own experience and just show up in presence that way, it allows the other person to just calm down and slow down. And I'm, I'm, I'm betting 100% that when your patients get off your table, they look at you and they go, wow, I feel so much better. And I, I think part of that, it's not always because of what we are working on physically. When I'm saying like with any of my manual therapy necessarily, uh, I, I, I imagine that quite a bit of that is just that presence, that slowing down, that awareness. So it's nice to be able to help people from that, even if they're not necessarily aware of why it's happening. Uh, right. It's it's nice to be able to share that with them too. Yeah, that's beautiful, Nick. I know that uh, in my experience of you, you just have this great ability to not only synthesize, but you have a great ability to modulate your own awareness and know what's going on with you and make those choices that are in your highest and best interest, not only for yourself, but to serve your patients, to help your clients, to be present with your family, to play with your <laughs> son and, you know, play with your wife. And, you know, these are, these are so important, you know, playtime is so important, you know, and for me, playtime is spending time in nature, going for hikes, uh, pleasure reading, uh, creativity related to writing or art. I love doing art, and um, you know, recently I've I've done some nice shamanic necklaces for clients that have asked, oh, you know, I have this power animal that's moving through me. Can you create a power necklace for me that reflects this animal's energy? And I love that when that comes in because then that gathers my creative energy and be able to distill that down, synthesize that, and create something for a client that they are so happy to wear and feel the energy of the stones and the elements that are contained within that empower them in their own pursuits. It's really fun. You know, life is fun. Absolutely. That's why I'm, I'm ready to go out and play again now that we're yeah. talking about it. Like I said, it's, it's going to be a great afternoon getting to go and just 
get outside and enjoy it all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. uh, so, Vidya, a couple last questions here. One of the ones that I want to know is, what is your vision for a healthy future? What do you think health will look like in 10 years, in 100 years even? You know, we're seeing great shifts on the planet right now with uh, people becoming aware of Monsanto and, and all of the modified GMO food that has um, infiltrated our food chain, right? And so we see states, countries fighting back and saying no more, right? There's that. Um, and so I see a big movement towards locally grown organic foods. Uh, here in California, specifically in San Diego, we have a huge proponent of small organic farmers that contribute from farm to fork or farm to school. And many of our schools here in Southern California and San Diego are building little gardens and, you know, like on-site little farms, not with animals, but with growing food. They take that food and they take it to the cafeteria. They're now feeding the kids. I am thrilled when I hear that. Is there like an organization uh, around that or is this just like individual schools starting to take part in it? Um, you can check. Um, where am I getting a lot of this information? Well, locally I'm getting this information from our, our local, um, you know, like PBS, which is public broadcasting. Yeah. You know, they report a lot on what's happening locally in the community and they're, you know, helping to raise awareness. Here in Southern California, the area I live, we have a lot of consciousness, meaning that people choose to eat organic foods. All of our organic stores are completely packed all the time. And it's and you know, what used to be just a fringe element of people going in and you know, we want co-ops and we want to eat organic food now, it's infiltrating everywhere. Because of the GMO foods and all of the modifications and all of the issues related to gut health, I'm seeing that more and more people are choosing gluten-free options, but there's always a danger with those gluten-free options because they're still refined grains, and we want to get away from re anything refined, and they put additives and all sorts of things into those kinds of, you know, flowers. So, Absolutely. you know, if you're going to do something like that, grind your own you know, buckwheat and <laughs> rice and, you know, do it that way, right? And uh, you see that in the restaurants around here too. Lots of gluten-free options, which is really good. So that tells us that more and more people are willing to take responsibility for their health. Now, it starts one person at a time, one family at a time, one community at a time. I would encourage people to get involved if they in a lot of communities throughout the United States have community gardens. So if you don't if you're living in a housing project or you're living in apartments or you're living in an urban setting where it's not practical for you to grow your own food because you don't have a balcony or access to fresh air, there's community gardens. Go get involved. Learn how you can, you know, use that resource to bring healthy food into your home. Also, um, water is a big issue and it's becoming more and more, you know, predominant in the collective consciousness that, wow, we have these corporate companies that are buying up our water rights and then bottling the water, you know, take, stripping the water and then selling it back to the public. 
I think that in, in, with what's happened in Flint, Washington, Wash, um, Michigan, Michigan is a yeah. very good example of how the people said enough is enough, right? While every, all the politicians were blaming, you know, it's this person's fault, it's the state's fault, it's the federal, you know, no matter what, we, we must uh, work together to change this zeitgeist that the corporate dollar is choosing and influencing our future. We can churn that around. So I really encourage listeners to get involved in their own communities and find out what are their healthy resources? Where can they go? Who are their Czech practitioners that are practicing holistic health and do that kind of coaching? Because you will benefit immensely, not only from resourcing energy and getting your head wrapped around all the whys and the how-tos and the what's of living uh, a self-affirming, dream-affirmative life, but also celebrate the health and well-being of your family and the friends and the community that is growing around you. We need each other. We don't live in isolation. That's, we absolutely. That's great, I, I I love it. The the work together, the celebrate. It's it's all bringing that to one, and that's I can see health certainly uh, going in that direction. More yeah. consciousness that comes about it. So, Vijay, again, one of the last questions I want to ask here: Who would you want to hear on this podcast, and what would you want to hear them talk about, or what question would you ask them? That's a big question. You know, I would encourage you to interview Eric Hulse. And the reason why Eric is a school teacher who has done just that. He's brought garden activity into his school. He lives in upstate New York, very successful. He teaches music, so integrates music and environment and, and hands-on growing of their food in his school. So I, I think he is a great resource Fantastic. for you to interview. Um, let me think of other people. I think that uh, there's so many names flooding me right oh, now. Oh, and even if you if yeah. you, you can send me a list after the show, I could put that in the show I notes. Would like, be, yeah, I'd just be happy to send you a list. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I would say Paul Chuck, but right now he's just <laughs> you know like this, and I send out you know any requests to have Paul be on a podcast or on a show or to participate in any way media wise has to go through me and I have to send them a media form so mm -hmm. to determine is, is it even feasible you know with all of the Absolutely. projects and his travel schedule. Uh, in Europe you might want to interview Gavin Jennings. He's our head of our uh, Czech Academy there and he's developed a very very successful business using the Czech principles there and um, he is an excellent speaker and well to do and uh, with his know-how and his integration of the Czech principles and being able to structure a successful Great. business. Um, Jenny Delbridge and Duncan. Jenny, Jenny is going to be coming on the show uh, in a few weeks. I'm going to be talking to her, so certainly going to get her on off to check in with Duncan then yeah, too and see. That's great. I would also encourage you to talk to Ashley Masaryk in Florida. Okay. You know, she's also one of our Czech faculty, and I'm, right now I'm just running down my Czech faculty yeah. list right now. But 
Ashley is such a, you know, she was a triathlete. She really lives and walks and breathes the Czech HLC. She teaches HLC one. She teaches exercise coach, teaches Czech practitioner one. She is a very, very skilled practitioner. And she's a mom. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's a mom to a son who's autistic. You know, it's her stepson. She's uh, she's got a daughter who you know is now nine years old, right? A little becoming mini me of of Ashley, but Ashley is an amazing human being, and I just love her dearly. Joe Rushton, of course, she's amazing, which I get to have the pleasure of uh, having her presence later on today. I would recommend uh, you know interviewing Patty Pinto. Patricia Pinto and I, Wayne. I just spoke with Patty uh, recently, and she's going to yep. be coming. Uh, actually, by the time this one comes out, her episode will have been released then too. So for sure, oh, awesome! That's great news. That's just just super. I just I've been loving working with Patty and, and Wayne and seeing their business develop and all of their programs develop. You know, it's it's just been great to. Um, to be considered part of their dream team as well. And, and it was a fantastic conversation with her. Yeah. It really was. So, uh, again, I, I want to be respectful of your time here. So last question that I ask everybody is, what is the one non-negotiable health habit you have that you never compromise on? But before you answer that, everybody's going to have to go check out the show notes or the Bare Naked Health Podcast. See all of the stuff that we talked about here. Check out the links that Vidya has, everything like that. Uh, Vidya, finally, how can our listeners find more about you? Uh, they can find more about me uh, through my website, akasha4life.com. Uh, on that website, you can access some of my uh, Czech blogs. You can go to the Czech Institute website and read my blogs as well. I have a diverse range. I tend to write on Dr. Happiness and what are the elements that help contribute to our own individual and collective happiness as well. Um, Facebook is, you can always find me on Facebook. Um, I participate in different summits throughout the year, um, various topics. And then of course, if anybody has a burning question, they can always email directly vidya at paulcheck.com or vidya at akashaforlife.com. So thank you very much for coming on the show and we'll get to that in a minute. Everybody has to go check out the show notes to okay. hear that then. Okay, great. Alrighty guys, back here with Vidya for her number one health habit that she never compromises on. I never compromise on my food. Food. And what about the food Sleep. that you never compromise on? I, I've eliminated all those things that don't support me. So I only eat organic food. I eat at regular times. I don't overeat. Right? Those are really, really, really important to me because they're the source of my energy. But the other thing that I never compromise on is my sleep. I'm a great sleeper. I go to bed early and I get up early and I love my mornings. I, I am with you on that. Uh, both of those are fantastic answers. And I think everybody needs to understand that. I, I like how you use the word supportive. Mm -hmm. Food should support you. It shouldn't have any negative repercussions to it uh but the sleep it comes up over and over it, yeah. it's it's just a fact of life sleep is that important it's so important and i think that for younger people this is where i see when i'm looking at their tests and i'm talking to younger people is that they're so driven by the social 
you know, and so when people get off work, they want to spend time together, you know, socializing, but then that can take them past the 10 o'clock hour, and then they, you know, start beating themselves up, I should, and the thing is, sleep is free, and if you're <laughs> too tired, then take a nap, because 20 minutes can just revive you very, very quickly, or do some inner work, some inner meditation where you're not sleeping, but you're just allowing the nervous system to rest. Zone Very exercises well are good for that. Yes, they are. So, Vidya, thank you again so much for all that. Everybody making sure, go out, getting your supportive food, getting plenty of sleep, and your health is going to uh, flourish because of it. Ah. Uh. You said that so well. And thank you so much, Nick, for our time together. It's always a delight to speak with you. And I'm just so excited for what you're doing and how you're making your contributions in the world around you. Thank you. Thank you.